We are in a series called Be the Church. Well, we are going through 1 Thessalonians. This church is a model church for our church. And the 1 the Thessalonians is written to help us know what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to respond. And we realize we're not quite there yet. We have some work to do and we have some changes to make. But it comes from an attitude from the very beginning of saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I remember learning that as a teenager. I was at a summer youth camp and the speaker said, when you get up in the morning and you read your Bible, you pray, don't tell God what you want him to do today. Ask God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn? So when you read your Bible, you're saying, God, what do you want me to learn today? And it's amazing when you read with anticipation, things start jumping out. As you, you talk and you work into different situations, you say, God, how do you want me to respond today? And it's amazing. God actually answers the prayer and opens up the doors of opportunity and you walk through them. Some of you have gone through and you've made some really scary steps. You have migrated countries. You've started new jobs. You have, for guys, you've talked to that girl for the first time. And you've gone through and you've said, God, this is your will for my life. Okay, I'll marry her. You've taken those big steps and you look back upon them after years and you can't ever imagine yourself back there ever again. And it didn't happen in one big, huge, giant leap. What it came about is I would call it small daily steps of obedience. God, what do you want me to do today? Okay, I'll do that. God, how do you want me to respond today? What do you want me to know? Who do you want me to talk to? How do you want me to serve? Okay, God, I'll do that. And you know what's amazing? Taking these small daily steps of obedience, before long you look back upon them and you can never imagine yourself back there ever again. And that's what we find with this church. This church in this real place in modern day Greece called Thessalonica has a book of the Bible, there's two books of the Bible written to it called Thessalonians. First and second Thessalonians is written to this church. And to give you a little bit of background, the Apostle Paul, along with some other helpers, arrived in this city after great persecution in the previous city. They come into this town and they're only there for three weeks. And in that three weeks, people were saved. They were baptized. Lives were changed. A church was established. And then persecution came again. And Paul and Silas and a man named Timothy were kicked out of town and they have to go down to the next town. Could you imagine three weeks and a church is established? I wish it was that fast. And these people now are saying, but look at all the things that we don't know. Look at all the things that I've yet to experience. And if you start listing out everything that you don't know, it's incredibly overwhelming. So rather than focus on everything that you don't know about Christ and about God and about the Bible, what is it that you do know? And that's what happened with this church. They started focusing upon the small and the little things that they did know about Christ and God's love for them and his wonderful gift of salvation. And as a result of that, they became a model church. They didn't carry around all the junks of the past. They put them aside. They didn't focus upon all the other things that they used to do or used to believe or used to desire. They focused upon what they knew to be true. And they became a model church. Now, as it 
local church ourselves, Southwest Baptist Church, we have a responsibility to not focus upon everything that we don't know. We also have a responsibility not to focus on, on everything that we can't do. What is it that we do know? And what is it that we do, to use some really bad English, do do? <laughs> I told you bad English. You remember it though. And what is it that God wants us to do in the future and go in the future? And how does he want us to move forward? And as a result of that, we see, and this has been building over the last, this is the fourth week of the series. We've seen and the, the, the picture of the telephone. And someone told me last week, they go, kids aren't going to know what that is. Okay, I'm going to tell you, children, that's called a telephone. Back in the olden days, they used to have wires and these little things using your fingers. And what this church did, and we can do the same, they heard God's call and they answered God's call. And then from that, they accepted God's plan for their life. And then as a result of that, they became an example to God's people. So that in a wonderful way, their reputation was going throughout their entire region where the Apostle Paul was saying, your reputation is so good, I don't even have to tell people. They're coming up to me and asking me, what happened to those people? And today we're talking about being motivated by God's work. Last week, I gave you a little phrase. And I said, we're going to change the phrase to I will to the new phrase is God is. And we use that from the example of a man named Henry Blackaby who wrote a, a very helpful book called Experiencing God, which literally is called Knowing and Doing the Will of God. And he uses this phrase, recognize where God is working and join him in that work. That changes the phrase of not I will, but God is. And if God is working there, then it's up to us as a local church and as individuals within that church to move forward and to join him in that work. As a result, this church became an example. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, so that you became an example to all the believers. There was an order of operation. God changed them on the inside, and as a result of that, began to change them on the outside. What we don't find is that God ever changed them on the outside before he changed them on the inside. It's not a matter of looking the right part or acting like a Christian or knowing when to sit down and when to stand up and where to smile and all the other things we do in churches to fit in. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of God has changed me on the inside and as a result of that, he begins to change me on the outside. This model church, they answered God's call, they accepted God's plan, they became an example to God's people, and then today we're looking at being motivated by God's work. Being motivated by God's work comes about by the, the opposite of this statement. You've heard the statement, fake it until you make it. I came across a, a very insightful meme this week. It's when you lie on your resume, but you still get the job. And of course, the pictures of the, of the little sausage dogs pulling the sled. So often we go, do you know what? I'm going to fake it on the outside and act like it's all right on the outside. And then maybe God will be going to change me on the inside. But the reality is that's not how it works. 
Our principle for today is this. And every Sunday we have a principle that we want to and seek to apply to our life. It is God, and notice who does the work? God aligns my motivation with His plans and purpose. That's just another way of saying, see where God is working and join Him in that work. He's going to change me on the inside so that He'll naturally change me on the outside. He's going to align my motivation. Why do you do what you do? The Scripture talks about being a giver. It talks about being a cheerful giver. And I don't know about you, but you can't fake cheerfulness. <laughs> you can grimace and smile. Like teachers, next week when you see your students, I'm so glad to see you today. In reality, it's like, I wish I was back on holiday still. I know what teachers feel like. So it's a great privilege that the God of the universe not only knows who we are and he cares for us and he molds and shapes us, but he also allows us to align our motivation with him. In the book of Amos, which is in the Old Testament, in Amos 3, 3, it says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Now, it's an old way of saying, unless we're in alignment together, we're not going to be working in the same direction. You ever try to, to work with someone that's constantly pulling against you? They're pulling left and you're trying to pull right and your ultimate goal is to move forward and you're pulling against each other. It makes the job so much more difficult when you're pulling against each other. What we need to do is agree with God in why He does what He does and where He is working and align our motivation with His plan and purpose. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We're going to read the first eight verses. And as we do that, you're going to see something from the very beginning and the end. It says this, For you yourselves know. So he's writing to these people. And he's writing about, about around 18 months later after first meeting them. He's writing to them to encourage them and to challenge them. But he's also saying, so therefore, he says, these are some things that you already know. And he also gives them a term of endearment. He says, you had become very dear to us. There was an alignment. This morning, we're going to look at six different not statements. Now, most of the time when I speak, I try to speak about positive things. But today, I'm going to talk about six nots. So six negatives. But sometimes when we study what something is, and we try to discover what is God's motivation for our lives, Sometimes it's easier to discover what it's not to help us understand what it is. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And we're going to take it straight out of these first eight verses, and we're going to see six knots about our motivation. So let's read in verses 1 through 8. It says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, 
as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This morning, we're going to look at six different not statements. And when we talk about our motivation aligning with God's motivation, we're going to see what it's not. And then from that, I think it's going to be pretty un- help us to understand what it is to align with God in our motivation for service and for, for life. We're going to develop our motivation to align with God. First of all, it is not in vain. It says there in verse number one, our coming to you was not in vain. That word vain has a literal understanding of being empty or fruitless. In the Old Testament, I realize this is in in Hebrew and Greek, so it's a different actual definition, but the same understanding of the word. The most famous use of the word vain or vanity is from King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's the richest man, the ruler of the world at the time. He's the most powerful man on earth, and he has everything he could ever want. He has riches. He has ease because there was no wars during his time of ruling. He had esteem of others where everyone was coming to him going, you are so wise, you are so brilliant. And he also had a bunch of women, for better or for worse, And he comes to the conclusion. You start reading the book of Ecclesiastes. It takes him two verses. In the second verse, he starts off with something really negative. He says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I mean, it's not like the most encouraging way to start a book off. Well, that's riveting. I really want to keep reading this. He literally is saying, emptiness of emptiness. I tried absolutely everything, and everything is empty. Of course, if you keep reading the book, he comes to the conclusion at the end that ultimately stuff doesn't matter. It's his relationship with God that he needs to align with. And he starts off with not in, uh, not emptiness. That word vain also has the understanding of being false. And the conclusion that the many Bible commentators come to is that the Apostle Paul was defending his own character and his own motivation before the people and before others and saying, I didn't come to you under false pretenses. I didn't come to you to tell you to turn away from your false uh, Greek gods and turn towards the one true God and the Messiah, Jesus Christ, for my own benefit. It basically is saying, I didn't come to you as an imposter. I didn't come to you because I wanted to fill my pockets up with riches. I didn't come to you because it's people who become followers of me. He says, I want you to be followers of Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5, verses 6 and 7, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. That empty words is the same word as vain. Therefore, do not become partners with them. And we have a command in Scripture to not let people deceive us with basically being imposters, 
So if someone comes and it sounds too good to be true, guess what? It probably is. Christianity is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It is not a just a get-out-of-hell and your life's going to be easy and free in the future. We, we talk about things that are actually life is really difficult as a believer in Jesus Christ. The scripture doesn't promise us ease, but it does promise us hope and peace and joy through those trials and, and difficult times. Many of you have probably traveled. And when you travel, you have people try to sell you things, and particularly if you go to particular countries, and they try to sell you something on the street, and they guarantee it's genuine, it's real. To the untrained eye, if you're trying to buy a a watch and they try to sell you a Rolex on the street of Phuket, a Rolex, and look, it's only $20. And you go, for the untrained eye, it looks so real. It looks like the genuine thing. And you spend the $20, you don't even haggle because you think you're getting a bargain. And you come home and within a couple of days, what happens? The numbers start falling off. And you think, but it looks so good. It looked so real. But in reality, it didn't stand the test of time. Now, you can get some really good-looking fakes. You can get some fakes that you have to take the back off and they have to examine it with those little glasses and look and see if the markings are correct. And it sometimes even confuses the seemingly experts. But in reality, a fake is never as valuable as the real thing. So the Apostle Paul says, we didn't come to you as imposters. We came to you, and here's the key, we came to you in truth, and we were the genuine article. So that's the first. We, aligning our motivation with God is that we are not in vain. The second is this. It's not circumstantial. Sometimes it rains outside. Now, I realize it doesn't rain very often in, in summertime. Like We haven't had rain for like, 45, 50 days. And when it does rain, I can guarantee we'll all complain about it. We'll not have rain for two months, and then we'll get a little shower, and we'll go, oh, it's been raining for a whole hour already. When's it going to stop? We have circumstantial faith. It can be too hot. It can be too cold. It can be this and that. And we can have lots of seemingly good horrible, but good excuses to not align our motivation with God. God, I'm just too tired. God is just too hot. It's just too this or that. And in reality, it comes down to our aligning with God and his motivation is not based upon circumstances. The Apostle Paul is one of these guys that anytime you tell him one of your physical ailments, he always has a better story. And if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul, you, you recognize that he was beaten and shipwrecked and beaten again and shipwrecked again. And he was all these various things. People took stones and threw stones at him and tried to stone him to death. And he would carry around the physical scars. So anytime that you have, you know, oh, Paul, it's so hard. It's so overwhelming. This person was mean to me. He goes, now, I don't know if he really did this, but in reality, he goes like, yeah, you want to see my scars? You want to see my hurt, my pain? And it says in verse number two, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, which I'll talk about in just a moment, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 
The conflict was they were being persecuted. They had just left a city called Philippi, which is about 120 kilometers up the road is Philippi. And in Philippi, they had been told by God in a vision, go over to Macedonia. So the very first place they end up is in Philippi. They're doing exactly what God called them to do. Acts 16, verses 22 and 23, it says, The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Now, that beating wasn't just a slap on the wrist. Can you imagine a Roman beating? And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. I encourage you to read through the book of Acts, and particularly chapter 16 and 17, that talk about what we're, we're studying today, because it's incredible the circumstances that they were going through. They were not fun. And in a human side, you look at them following and doing what God had called them to do, and you go, well, circumstantially, it's not really working out for you very well, is it, Paul? You took them from somewhere that was comparatively safe, to follow God's plan, you said that God told you to do something. And look where we are. We're in prison right now. And look at all the scars on my back as a result. It hurts. So therefore, aligning my motivation with God isn't based upon circumstances. God still works on cloudy days. God still works when you have bad news. This week, I watched online a funeral service of a of a man named pastor graham smith and and graham was a man that personally i never met he was a pastor of a, of a church for uh, several years in adelaide and he and i had had kind of crossed paths by general acquaintances and so i started watching his sermons and to be honest with you, i was really blessed when i, I watched his, his messages and listened to his sermons he, he had insight into god's word and i was personally really encouraged so i kind of went out of my way to, to listen to his sermons often about six months ago he was diagnosed with cancer and he, he passed away after a short period a short time with cancer and he had his funeral service and it was a real honoring time the bible says is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. So therefore, we're, we're all facing that day. But literally, it's a conviction on my part. And I realize that a funeral service, you're supposed to say nice things about people. But the testimony of this man going through the cancer and the way that he wrote and the impact on people's lives was just absolutely tremendous. One of the things he had for his service, his funeral service, and he didn't write out everything that had to be done, but he said, I want my funeral service to be a praise service, not talking about me, but talking about my Savior, Jesus Christ. And then r the days before he passed away, which he passed away just less than two weeks ago, the days before that, he gave this as an instruction. He says, in Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the, the funeral service, I realize it's a service and you're supposed to cry and people are supposed to say nice things about you. But the testimony of this man realizing that in the, the most difficult time of his life, suffering through cancer, and suffering through difficulty, he, he was actually at peace and he had joy. Was he happy about cancer? I don't think he goes, oh God, I enjoy the pain. I don't think so. But he had an alignment with God and God's motivation so that he could experience joy and think about his Savior, not his circumstances.
in negative circumstances, that passage in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 2 says, we had boldness in our God to declare. You see, difficult circumstances, negative circumstances build boldness in our life. If you've done something big and bold and scary, the first time you've done it, it's terrifying. My daughter Riley had a big moment this week. We were at Adventure World on Wednesday. And Adventure World is an amusement park in Perth. And they have a big thing called the Goliath. And to be honest with you, every time, and I'll admit this publicly, and no, I didn't admit this privately to you, Riley, it messes with my stomach. As a kid, I love those sort of rides. Now I'm like, queasy. Riley was brave enough for the first time to go on it. And she went on it with her aunt and with her grandfather. And then afterwards, we come back, and in my stomach, I'm going, and Riley said something that shocked me, that shocked me in a way that I thought she would never say. I thought she would go, I'm never going to do that again, Dad. She goes, I'm going to go again. And she got back in line. And it's a big ride that makes you go up in the air, like literally higher than this, this roof of the building. And you're looking straight down, and you have to watch out because people do spit. And... Yeah. Sometimes when you do something once, you get over that fear and you realize, actually, it's not that bad. And you look as you build and you mold. And you, the first time you do something, the first time you walk into the new job, the first time that you, you address different areas of your life, it hurts when God begins to mold and shape and change us. And we realize, actually, it's for my ben benefit. God, can you do it again? What we see in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 says, For Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? What's our motivation? It's not circumstantial. Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So therefore, uh, to align our motivation is not circumstantial. It's resilient. And it is a long-term commitment to the things of God. Number three, it is not dishonest. There's three words we see in verse number three. For our appeal does not spring forth from those three words, error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Paul was saying here, we're telling you the truth. We're being straightforward. We're not fluffing it around. We're not being like salesmen trying to, to hide and manipulate you at all. We're telling you the absolute truth from the very beginning. And he says he uses three words. He uses the word error. The word error literally means we're not fraudulent. Then he says of impurity, we're not unclean. We're not telling you something that's untrue, and our motivation is absolutely pure. And also the word deception. Deception is the word guile. Another word for that is trickery. We're not here to tell you what you really want to hear or manipulate it in the way that just sounds really good for your ears so that you'll sign on the dotted line, and then you have buyer's regret tomorrow. I'm going to expand your, your word power for many, maybe some of you. There's a word called ambiguous, which is kind of a fun word to say if you want to quietly say it under your breath. The word ambiguous. And the word ambiguous literally means open to more than one interpretation, not having one obvious meaning. Some of you have discovered when you go to salesmen sometimes, and if you're a real estate agent, I'm not talking about you personally. They're a bit ambiguous in their description of, of the property. And maybe you've looked at realestate.com and you read through the description of the house and they'll say things like cozy. That actually means small. 
you'll see things like ready to make your mark. That means totally unfinished. Has great potential, a.k.a. money pit. Or you have things like quaint or the word retro, which means it needs to be renovated because it's totally out of date and probably has shag carpet. You have things like low maintenance, which means there's absolutely no backyard. Or limitless potential. Tear it down and start from scratch all over again. And you read those words and it sounds good. And you may even say, but it says it's cozy. And that's a nice word, but it really means small. And so honestly, I promise you, I will not always be correct. There's times... And if you're, if you're my family, you'll definitely know this, that I'm not always right. And it's hard for me to admit that sometimes. But there's a difference between sometimes you're not correct and actually being dishonest. And um, you're not going around with aligning with the things that God's saying, Do you know what, this is a get-rich-quick scheme, we can just be dishonest because the end justifies the means. What we're talking about here is, is that we're being honest we're telling the truth will we always be right no sometimes we just make mistakes but our motivation is always with honesty behind it number four we're not people pleasers and this aligns with the previous one where we are not dishonest where it says in verses four and verse number six but just as we have been approved by god to be entrusted with the gospel so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Nor, this is verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. There's a statement when it says approved by God. And there's a statement that's really critically important. And everything that we do, everything that we sing, Everything that we preach at Southwest Baptist Church is filtered through this statement. And I consciously rehearse this in my mind all the time. What does the Bible say? It is not the statement of, what will the people like to hear today? Or, what do I want to do today? It is, what does the Bible say? And that protects us from things that we shouldn't do and opens up the doors of opportunity for things that we should do. When we discover, what does the Bible say? There's a word in verse number four, it says, approved by God. That same word is used by the Apostle Paul when he's writing to other people. And he writes to a young man named Timothy. And in the book of Timothy, funny enough, the book of Timothy is written to a guy named Timothy, funny enough. Timothy is a young pastor. And Paul describes Timothy and says, you are like my son in the faith. Paul didn't have his own children, but Timothy was as close to his own child as you can get. So therefore, his motivation when he was teaching Timothy was he wanted him to succeed. He wanted him to do well. And so he writes to Timothy and he says in, in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verses 15 through 17, it says, do your best to present yourself as one approved. That word approved is the same word as used in 1 Thessalonians. And it literally means that you are testing something. Is it true? Is it genuine? Is it in alignment with what does the Bible say? Some of you have jobs where you go on, on the mine sites and you check metal integrity. 
and I'll tell you everything I know about your job. You know, you have testing equipment that tests the integrity of the, the, of the metal and the pipes, and you determine whether or not it is approved, ticked of approval, to do the job that it's supposed to do. In a similar way, that's what it's talking about here. That does what we do align with the word of God so we have, in a, in a sense, the tick of approval of God that aligns with him. And that passage says, as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, that's the Bible, but to avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Now, I did not purposely did not put a picture on the screen of gangrene, but just imagine it for a moment. It's not very nice. So Paul's using some really strong language here. And he says, when we tell people just what they want to hear, and we tell people, basically, we're people pleasers, we are handling the word of truth not approved. So therefore, it says we're going to lead people to more ungodliness. So we're going to take people away from God, not lead them to God. And their talk is going to spread like gangrene. Now go ahead, go home and Google gangrene and look at some pictures because it's not very nice. So Paul's giving us some really strong language to totally avoid being a people pleaser. In that same book in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it talks about how we're supposed to handle the word of God. And it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. So what is it to do for us? It's to teach us to reprove us to, for correction and for training in righteousness. So as to tell us what is true, to help us to know what is not true, and to help us to lead us to live what is true, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So to align ourselves with the motivation of God's motivation, we are not to be people pleasers. We are simply to share God's word. What does the Bible say? Number five, not with flattery. It says in verse number five, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. It would be very disingenuous of us as a local church to have someone come and visit with us and us have the attitude of, hmm, how can we use them? What can we do with their skills and ability? What could we do if they started to serve or they started to give? What could we do? And that's the motivation behind that is we begin to flatter, we begin to build up, and we don't tell the truth. It's kind of like a husband, and this is all very hypothetical, of course. A husband coming to his wife and saying, Oh, my beautiful bride, you look so lovely today. I'm just so lucky to have married you. And maybe your wife isn't quite as, maybe your wife's more believing than mine is. But if, if my wife, she probably, just like you, would say, What do you want? Or, What did you do wrong? Or, are you hungry? <laughs> you come with all these flattery words because in reality, I want something from you. I want you to serve me. I want you to, to please me. I want you to give. I want you to do something. So we come with all these kind words. And Paul says, when we align with, the, with, the, with God and our motivation, we're not coming with a bunch of fluffy words just to get a means to an end. 
in Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 15, the, the scripture says, speaking the truth in love. It's okay to give compliments. It's okay to tell your wife that you love her and that you're so lucky to be married to her and that she looks so beautiful today. Full stop. I'm talking to myself now. And not wanting something from, from that. You don't want, you don't, not just because you did something wrong. A number of years ago, I have a friend that I grew up with that wasn't a car guy at all. In fact, I wouldn't even think that he would be a, a technical, mechanical guy at all, but he became a, a used car salesman. He was young, and quite honestly, he was in his early 20s, and he was selling cars, and remarkably, he was doing really, really well. And I talked with him, his name is Chris, and I said, Chris, how is it that you're selling cars? And he goes, I know. I don't know anything about these cars. I said, would well, you have to study a lot before you do it? He goes, no. What we do is we go on, on, on road trips. Now, forgive me if you're a used car salesman. This is not talking about you. <laughs> and he goes, no. All I do is I sit in the car, and as we're driving along, I say things like, it drives really good, doesn't it? He plants a seed of positivity. He drives really good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And people, and of course, when you're driving along, you, you want to be agreeable, so you begin to agree. He talks the car up, and he talks about all the, all the wonderful things and how good it, and smooth it drives, and he says the cars just sell themselves. Knowing that and filing that truth away, last year I, I, I test drove a ute, and I was sitting in the car, and guess what the car salesman said to me? He says, and we're driving through, he goes, it drives pretty good, doesn't it? And to be honest with you, I didn't particularly care for the way it drove. It was a little bit shuddery in the brakes and several things. So I said, you know what? No, it doesn't. <laughs> and he goes, and, and, and I kept my eyes straight. I wish I would have looked at him. <laughs> because, and to this man's credit, uh, to his credit, he went back to the, the, the yard and he actually told his manager my feedback to the car. And I, I guess they were going to get it fixed. So I appreciate that. It was a, he was a good used car salesman. But you plant a seed because I just want the sale. It drives pretty good, doesn't it? The Christian life is pretty good, isn't it? It's all smooth and easy. We talk about everything about, and we forget that, you know, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard when people around us make fun of us. And we may not be physically suffering like the Apostle Paul did with physical beatings, but it's sometimes really difficult. We want to align not with flattery, but with selfless love. And then final, number six, is not with words only. The Apostle Paul says in verse number eight, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready, and here's the key word, to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Talk is cheap. It would be very disingenuous of, of me as your pastor to say, here's the word of God. Go deal with it. I'm back here on my mighty throne. You go and work out life for yourself. In reality, a local church is, let's come and do this together. Let's grow together. Let's, let's cry together. Let's encourage each other together. Some people within our church, they find in discouragement, and it's a personal frustration to me when I find out after the fact of various things. And it's not because I'm a nosy person, but because I want to do life together, not just with kind words, but with action behind it as well. There's a difference between a leader and a boss. And you may have seen this graphic before where the leader sits behind and says, go, do, move. And they like a, with a whip and move everyone forward. And the other graphic is the leader is in the front 
pulling along with everybody else. And as a, as a local church, we're called not to be bosses or be bossy, but to be leaders. And within your own families and with your own lives, to be leaders within your life, let's do this together. The role of a pastor and the role of a local church, it says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 12, it says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up for the body of Christ. So this alignment comes about with not only words, but we're going to do life together. This just happened to be the passage that we had, we had worked out weeks and weeks ago that we're going to preach. Now I realize that in a couple of weeks' time, my family was going to be away for a number of weeks visiting the United States. And, and so therefore, you read things like this, and Michael just preached this, and he goes, get up and go, get, have a mo positive motivation, and I'm leaving for six weeks. <laughs> but I realize that it's going to cause us as a local church to have to step up in various ways. To, to help and support Pastor Larry. And he's very capable, but we are not called to do this by ourselves. So as a way of application today, there's a number of, of ways that you can possibly apply this today in your lives. And I would encourage you to ask God, God, how do you want me to apply this? But also I want you to think within our own local church is what is our motivation for ministry? What's our motivation for service? Is it in alignment with that of God? And that list again, it is not in vain. It is not circumstantial. It is not dishonest. We are not people pleasers. We are not with flattery and we're not with words only. There's a statement that I learned when I was in Bible college. You know, in Bible college, I was a certain you know, throwaway statements that the professors sometimes make that catch. And this particular one caught. It says, you are blessed to be a blessing. And let me encourage you that when we are a blessing, when we are living in alignment with the things of God, we naturally receive a blessing. And we find encouragement. We find joy in service when we live in alignment with the things of God. So let me encourage you. God's calling. How are you answering? Have you accepted his plan? Are you, are you ready to move forward in ministry? Ready to be, move forward? Maybe you need to be saved today. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe there's an area of ministry that God's been putting on your heart. And let us come alongside you and help you to connect and grow and serve so we can do this together.